This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Hello, and thanks for tuning in. I am that nerd dad, Joe Williamson. I appreciate you stopping by for a 30-minute visit. I think it runs closer to 40 today. (laughs) I had a really good chat with comedian Ricky Glore. If you're unfamiliar with Ricky, uh, you're about to become a lot more familiar with him. He is a hell of a dude. Uh, Really good conversationalist. Very funny. Uh, Not so funny in our interview, because we get into a real deep kind of comedy nerd chat, so... Um, if you have any interest in comedy, um, this is the this is the the show for you. So, uh, as always, I appreciate you tuning in, and I have one small request for this free entertainment. Wherever you're listening to this or watching it, there's probably a subscribe button. Please hit subscribe. Please hit follow. I greatly appreciate it. And with that, let's listen to Ricky. Are you listening? Damn. Uh-huh. Hello and thanks for tuning in. I am that nerd dad, Joe Williamson. Today I am joined by Ricky Glore. You can find him everywhere on socials by Googling Ricky Glore, Ricky Glore Com- comedy. Still a mouthful. That's take two. I'm keeping this one. Um, we're, leaving this, <laughs> we're leaving that one in because I don't think it's going to get better than that. Ricky, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much for having me on the show. So, uh, Ricky, I... I met you through twitter kind of i you know i interact with your posts a little bit and i thought hey you're a comedian let's let's have you on the show so i reached out you said sure uh and then uh you know as we do our kind of prep work i think i'm getting a dad comedian this is a dad funny guy the first thing you send me are links to horror movies (laughs) yeah i i overloaded you i made you the number one ricky glore fan that exist. I gave you anything and everything that I've kind of touched and been a part of within the last like two years. Um, uh, to a fault, probably. I wear too many hats creatively, but it is because I have uh, an insurmountable amount of interest, which existed the pre COVID times, but was really highlighted during those COVID times. Uh, one example was because I wasn't touring and doing stand-up, I wanted to keep fresh writing comedy. I started a like a parody slash homage to week Norm McDonald's weekend update by doing an all puppet version called Weekend Pup Date. And so from let's see, I think from March or May to August of 2020. Um, I did a new episode every week and was able to accumulate quite a few uh, notable writers throughout the United States and get some awesome guests like Lisa Loeb uh, performing songs and other people writing and performing and sending in filmed bits. Uh, It was a cool little thing. I had to stop in August because I found out that reading that much current events and news and politics was driving me insane and making me depressed. That thing, if you've ever heard called doom scrolling. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was doing that. And I, I had this, my brother who's a psychiatrist. <laughs> I was like, uh, I, I'm very, I'm very depressed and anxious every week, basically curating and writing and filming and editing a new half an hour comedy show every week. Um, and a lot of it has to do with the news. Uh, 
And he's like, okay. He's like, would you get paid to do this? And I was like, no. He's like, well, could you just stop doing it? I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah, there's your answer. Stop doing it. It's the old, it's the old dad joke. Does it hurt when you do this? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't stop do doing that. It. Stop Don't doing do that. that. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. The, I, I get the comedy. You and I have talked a little bit. Uh, it, it, where does the horror interest come in? Because the, the, the same, things you the sent me were, were, were creepy. They were, they were creepy. They're yeah, intentionally it all, creepy. It all yeah. comes from the same place, which is my dad um, who sh- uh, showing me uh, old comedy films. So like, I started off with like Hope, uh, Bob Hope and Bing Crosby Road Pictures, the Martin and Lewis movies, uh, Abbott and Costello, and then Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, which was a great intro. So also, I'm saying this, I'm probably three, four years old. So the introduction of Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein, if you ever watched it, it's fantastic. It features a lot of the original Universal monsters. I think Glenn Strange plays uh, Frankenstein's monster, not Boris. But the monsters in the movie are not funny. The monsters are deadly serious. It's Abbott and Costello who are funny. I think at one point Frankenstein throws a woman out of a window. And it's not like she bounces off of uh like something that's like it's not cartoony out. yeah 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 it's not like the woman lives it's like the woman gets thrown out of the window and she's dead <laughs> so it's not that the the horror isn't necessarily the uh, comedy in that so that was my entryway into watching horror and then my dad showed me all the universal monster movies which he grew up with and then he showed me all the hammer horror films if anyone's interested or familiar with those that's like the christopher lee peter cushing uh david prouse uh, who played Darth Vader, also played Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster in some of those. Um, and then, but then th- again, this is all from like the age four to like six. I'm watching, I'm getting inundated in all of this. Then there's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So you're then not watching Scooby Eyes. That's I not am. your introduction. To, I to am. I'm movies. watching, <laughs> I'm watching Warner Brothers cartoons. I'm watching uh, Bugs Bunny and stuff where they also have great references of like Peter Lorre. And like most kids are probably watching that when they were my age in the nineties, not understanding the Edgar G Robinson references, but like, and Peter Lorre, but I am because I watched like my favorite brunette with Bob Hope and Peter Lorre. I was watching the Maltese Falcon. I was watching a lot of television, the monkeys, man from uncle Batman, the original sixties one rat patrol um, combat, a lot of Burt Reynolds stuff. Saturday Night Live. So all of that just kind of interweaves The Night Stalker, which is a great TV movie that turned into a um, uh, a TV show with Darren McGavin. But so Kolchak. I have a U- Kolchak? Kolchak. Yeah. Kolchak. That was close. So the TV movie was just called The Night Stalker. And right. then when it became a series was Kolchak, semicolon, uh, The Night Stalker. Um, but so I was watching all of that. I have a wealthless, I have a wealthless, I have a worthless <laughs> wealth of movie knowledge and television and pop culture. Um, and so watching a lot of that horror, I had seen all the Nightmare on Elm Streets, all the phantasms by the time I was six and seven years old. And some of my, I, I, have, a, I have a strong belief that the reason why we're getting a lot of comedic personas moving into the horror genre right now, say like Jordan Peele or Danny McBride, Yep. is because they're so closely related they they involve a visceral reaction and I, I love that like I love performing I love doing comedy in in any kind of way because 
it entertains. And that's my main goal. My main goal is not to get up on stage and show people how funny I am. It is to, for them to get a break and hopefully make them laugh. Um, I think that's the same thing with, with horror is some of the best horror has brevity in it, which makes the horror that much more effective. So I, I'm going to jump on that point because um, you, you mentioned kind of the performance piece of it. And when I watched your comedy special, uh, Dad Bod, I, I, I messaged you afterwards. It's like, look, I see some of the influences. It's like, I, I'm seeing SNL coming through here. Um, and look, you're obviously a bigger guy and you're high energy when you're on stage. So I'm guessing you get Chris Farley a lot. Um, and so much. And I always was more of a David Spade or a fan of them together than anything of him on his own. I'm a big Second City fan. So I love the history of him being part of Second City and the people he worked with, like Bob Odenkirk and Tim Meadows. But them uh, being a fan of the Hope and Crosby, big man, little man, or Evan Costello, yeah. Laurel and Hardy, big man, little man was classic uh, trope, classic. And I love that Penelope Spheris, who directed uh, Wayne's World, but also did Black Sheep, which yeah. she came on uh, Black Sheep, the sequel to Tommy Boy, which is <laughs> God, how many t- I can't even count the amount of times that I, I've quoted Tommy Boy. I had Tommy Boy poster in my first apartment. Um. Penelope Spheris came on Black Sheep and she's like, ooh, I don't like David Spade. I'm going to keep them separated for most of this movie because I think Chris is really funny. And it's like, oh, you just missed it totally that they are equal parts of the whole, the yin and the yang is what is needed. But as much as, yeah, Farley, I used to do a Farley impression in my original stand-up when I started in 2005. Um, I saw a flash of it. I saw a flash <laughs> of it when you were doing it. When I was watching this, but I saw a flash of it. I was like, okay, that's a little farly. But when I met, when I messaged you, I said, I'm also seeing like Dana Carvey because you do some impressions. And I, I also felt Phil Hartman coming through. It's kind so of funny that you say, I, no one has ever, ever draw that compare, drew that comparison. Like, uh, did you get it with the, the Campbell County thing with the announcer or kind of like the Troy McClure? I think it was, it more, all? I think it was more your demeanor on stage. Um, in the, in the special, you're, you're fairly well-dressed. You have a suit, uh, you're, you're pairing it. You're, you're, you you're, don't you're look play- like a hobo. You're, you're playing it clean, right? You're playing it clean. Um, but there's a, there was just something about it that I was like, this goes beyond just the, the names that everyone remembers from SNL. This is a guy who watched and absorbed and learned from SNL and and Phil Hartman just jumped out of me and then you were like yeah my number one I grew up on the Pee Wee before I even knew necessarily uh, everyone who was involved behind the scenes I grew up on the Pee Wee Herman show and was a huge fan of Paul Rubens and then kind of everyone that was in his stratosphere which now I mean when I got older I realized well the Pee Wee Herman show there would be no Pee Wee Herman show if it weren't for Phil Hartman he co-created it it was a point of contention that he didn't get the credit for co-creating it as much as he did to the chagrin of uh, Paul Rubens, who then later um, apologized after his death and felt bad that he never gave Phil his, his due diligence. Uh, Phil Herman has an amazing comedy album that I'm blanking on the name of that I got on CD that was released uh, after his death by his brother, I believe just everything about Phil, what he admired, I think were character actors and films um that's what i love i love those character actors who kind of steal the show who more modern day and even probably past 
his time is Steve Zahn. I love Steve yeah. Zahn and things. Giovanna Ribisi, um, someone we were talking, my friends and I were talking about the other day, um, Sam Rockwell, who's mm-hmm. now getting appreciation is not just being a character actor or a guy who steals things. Um, he's, you know, got an Oscar now. <laughs> but yeah, so Phil Hartman and his references of like film noir and a lot of his point for comedy and his impressions were caricatures. Even if the voice wasn't perfect, he embodied the essence, which I don't necessarily do on stage in comedy, but I just, I don't know. There's something about him that, like you said, was classier than a lot of the other cast members, but that's my cast. I grew up on the Comedy Central reruns of that 87 to like 91. So you get uh, Kevin Nealon, um, Dennis Miller, Jan Hooks, Victoria Jackson, Phil Hartman, Mike Myers comes in, Dana Carvey. And, And then towards the end of that, like the 91 is when you start getting some glimpses of the new young overblown cast that yep. would come in and then kind of get them named Saturday night dead. Yep. Uh, and that mid nineties era era, but um, yeah, yeah. I, I adore Phil. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think he's, I, I don't want him to become a footnote in comedies, the history of t- comedy, um, but I feel like he's becoming a bit of a footnote, coming kind of an afterthought. Um, so when it when it jumped out at me, I was like, I, I got to tell him. He'll it, Ricky will know what I'm talking about when I say this. Well, um, those are the glues. Like those are my favorite all time cast members. Which most recently we had Bill Hader. And yeah, that's why I'm drawn to Bill Hader. I would guess that him and Phil are probably not too dissimilar guys. Where Phil did album artwork um, before, kind of giving everything up for comedy um bill Hader is a film nerd and i bet you phil probably had a wealth of, of film knowledge as well and that's why everything was so genuine from what he pulled from i'm gonna throw nick offerman into that mix as well kind of nick, creative yeah. juices can take or leave the comedy scene but just brilliant when they get going yeah <laughs> yeah and there's there's i, I think you you see they think you see a sparkle in certain performers eyes when they have that and you like, Ooh, I like them. And there's, there's a reason why Nick Offerman has become kind of this smoky, the bear of comedy (laughs) where just people look at him and they're just like, I love him. Yeah. He is, he is my, my Sharpa. I think there's something about authenticity, right? I've said, I've said this before and I'll say it again. People can smell it. They can smell authenticity and they're drawn to that. And, and the Hartmans, the haters, the Offermans of the world, they reek of authenticity. They don't reek of a shtick or a, it's like, this is who they're going to be if you run mm. into them on the street. And I think that's what people are drawn to. Um, if I could, I'm going to talk about being a comedian for a bit. Because as you can tell, and I mentioned, I'm a comedy nerd. I can talk about this all day. Uh, look, I, I did my turn uh, doing dive bars uh, <laughs> three nights a week. And I, I couldn't hack it. I was fine i wasn't good enough um and i accept that <laughs> i tried my congratulations hand. that you stopped though there are so <laughs> many people that need to be told to stop and probably myself included in some uh avenues or ventures but that's why i like to be creative in a bunch of different ways like writing directing and whatnot but yeah what led to are, this <laughs> there are you plenty find it- of yeah there are plenty of comedians who who are king shit of turd mountain of those of those bar shows are in front of their same five five friends but yeah 
and and, and look, those guys exist, and, and hats off to them. They, they, you know, they become these. <laughs> they're the guys you look up to when you first start going to open mics, and you're mm-hmm. like, that guy knows what he's doing. And then you realize, oh, he's been doing this same room for five years. And oh, then you I, talk, I, you talk I, to I a guy who's been who's who's actually making it, and they're like. I'm downtown. I do three shows a week or three shows a night. I'm on every bus to catch every stage I can. And I'm like, I don't have that kind of commitment. <laughs> I can't do that. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing too, is like, I don't have, uh, I've always kind of had an old man mentality of, or I mean, I, I don't, I don't really drink. Um, so I've never been that hang person. Yeah. And so I think I sometimes have that air, especially locally of like, oh, he thinks he's too good for us or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of factors like, I don't do the hang because I don't drink. Um, I do impressions on stage, which is looked down upon. I've incorporated within the last couple of years ukulele. Uh, So I like like musical comedy as well. And so those are all things that pure comedians, whatever, Mm -hmm. would call hacky. And I'm just like, I don't care. They're things that I like doing. Um, I like entertaining the audience. And so you're a showman. I don't. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I like to be a little bit of a renaissance performer, not just the person that stands up there dryly and leans on the mic stand. Yeah, so you, you throw a little vaudeville into it. Exactly. Like we're that's, talking old school. Old school. And that's, that's what I grew up. Yeah, that's what I grew up on, you know. So, Song and dance men. Do you, uh, you, have a, you, you have a young daughter. Uh, do you travel? Do you go on the road? I do. Um, obviously, the COVID has put a little bit more of a kibosh on that. Uh, things are starting to open up a little bit more. Um, I was pretty frequently gone almost every weekend up until the month before her birth in 2019. And then I took a couple months off and then kind of hit back the road, which then led up to my special recording for dry bar. And then it led to my album recording in February, 2020, which was great. And I use all sarcasm when I say great that my album and my special came out in the middle of the pandemic. So I got to really capitalize on both of those. Get some momentum. Album's called yeah. Spitting Image, by the way. On all platforms. I think even still on Spotify, even though uh, a lot of stand-up comedians' uh, albums have been pulled there because they there's something with the residuals that they're worried about. Yeah, I, w- I saw something about that the other day. I didn't quite get a chance to get into it yet either. But um, mine doesn't make enough money, so it's still up there. <laughs> look, it's 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 a I I can't remember where I heard it or or what I read. I think it may have been a John Oliver special, uh, one of John Oliver's episodes, where he said the only people who make money off Spotify are like Bieber and Drake, and like that's sure. it. Like no one else makes money. Everyone yeah, else is I, just I, giving. Shit I believe away. that. <laughs> and they 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 closed a hack where people were putting out like blank albums mm. and saying to their listeners, Hey, I need you to stream this while you sleep. Mm-hmm. And there was That's just crazy. white noise, right? Stupid, crazy. Um, so the idea of being a road comic, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, you are in Kentucky being away from the family is that uh, I'm going to look, it's hard. You're a loving parent. 
It's not like you're not like a I can't wait to get out of my wife's hair kind of comedian. Um, is that the conversation that had to happen before you decide to have a child, or was this like, look, this is going to happen, or was there some sort of like conversation about maybe we're going to pivot towards being trying to be more home based, and I'm going to start a podcast, or I'm going to stay I local. Mean- I've had podcasts. I'm actually, as of tonight, restarting to see if uh, if one of the podcasts I had done called Real 90s, where me and two of my uh, childhood friends, when I lived in Chicago and did it remotely, because they're in the Cincinnati area, um, we used to do a podcast where we only watch 90s movies, and then we discuss. Um, so we're starting that back up again tonight to nice. see if we want to do it again. Um there's enough podcast. I mean, there's enough comedians in the world. There's enough podcasters in the world, but um, this terrible no. show included carry on <laughs> <laughs> that you're currently listening to on all podcast platforms. Yep. There, there, yeah, there is a conversation of, you know, it's kind of, uh, a, I mean, it's a job, but also my wife is very aware as she was a performer uh, too, that I need it to feed my creative soul and kind of using the, we can pup date example that I said before, if at any point I was doing it and it became either detrimental to our relationship, to our family or to myself, uh, I would stop doing it. I don't love standup. Standup is not my love. Um, my love is creating uh, so much. So when I started standup 2005, I did it as a house MC at the Newport and Levy funny bone. And I got to work with, so many of my idols and kind of got to pick anyone who was on SNL that was coming through looking at the calendar. I'd be like, ah, okay. A month from now, uh, Kevin Nealon's coming. Uh, can I open for them? Jim Brewer's coming. Can I open for them? Tracy Morgan's coming. Can I open for them? Damon Wayans from in living color. Like oh, yeah. really calling dibs on a lot of people that I loved and wanted to work with. Um, and I did that because I just started college and I couldn't get on the college improv team. And my mind was already in the trajectory of like, you do improv, uh, you graduate with a theater degree, maybe writing, you go to Chicago, you do Second City, you do Improv Olympic. This is the path to, to Saturday Night Live, which I wanted to do. Or, you know, you go to LA and do the uh, Lemmings. Um, but uh, Chicago is where I thought it would be yep. the best for me, for my love of sketch and improv. And there is that's, that's the holy grail, right? The Chicago yeah. Second City is, is the holy grail. Yeah, I mean, and at that time, UCB still existed in New York. And obviously, if I would have loved, well, my brother lived in uh, New York for a little bit after graduating college and didn't love it. And we went up and visited. And it just feels like everyone's a tourist there. Where Chicago, I had visited, I'd spent some time, I knew some people that lived there. I knew some people that were working for Second City as part of their tour company. Um, And so that was an area that I liked and had things that I liked. So I was like, that's where I want to be. Um, so I started stand up when I couldn't get on the college improv team and the imp- college improv team was very coveted. The people who were the best of the best of the theater department were on the improv team. And, and it was all short form. It was nothing long form like Harold or anything. It was all whose line is it anyway, kind of games. Long form improv. I, when I did it, I, it's hard. It's so hard to keep a damn story together doing long form improv. Well, yeah, while also being interesting and then not even worrying about is this funny because you kind of can't. Well, um, and, and the audience generally, when they think improv, they think whose line is it anyway. Yeah. So you say, we're going to do Quick long jokes. form improv. They're like, what the hell are you talking about? And then yeah. five minutes later, they're like, I'm not listening to this. 
people <laughs> like if anyone knows of improv improv nerds tj and dave who did a two-man one uh, a two-man long-form improv show which was uh about an hour half an hour to an hour of just two people doing one show so off of one suggestion yeah and they're phenomenal at it um but so didn't get on the school improv team saw that they were doing stand-up classes at the funny bone taught by jeff jenna who kind of came became my stand-up mentor um i went to the class and the first thing he said was uh if the first the first class had like 50 students there and he said the first class is free Uh, i don't charge until the next one because i want you all to know that if you signed up because you think i can make you funny uh you need to not come back (laughs) <laughs> because I cannot make you funny. You're either funny or you're not. He's like, what I can do is I can give you stage time and I can give you notes and criticism and give you prompt writing prompts every week to where we can mold, hopefully, your voice. And you won't even find your voice by the end of this class. Finding your voice in, as a stand-up is the hardest thing. Um, but he's like, we can tap into maybe what you find funny and put that on stage. And so the next class, there were 10 of us left from 50 to 10. And... The, the best thing he did were uh, a lot of uh, the things that he'd mentioned, getting us up on stage writing each week, having to go up on stage and talking for a minute, which people are like, I can be a stand up. I'm the funniest person in my office. And it's like, yeah, go up on stage and talk for five minutes where your sole goal is to make people laugh consistently for five minutes. Yeah. But through that, you know, he taught a lot of the things that comedians like Jerry Seinfeld are big proponents of, of, okay, write a joke. Now go back through your joke with a pen or red pen or whatever and cross out the words that you can eliminate that still make your joke make sense in the English language. Yep. If you're an English performer and yep. performing for an English crowd. Um, and that's just cutting the fat. It's word economy. Um, so he taught things like that. Get to the funny quicker. Um, figuring out the, the rhythm and the beats of jokes is there a better word are you getting tripped up on this blah 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 alliteration so anyway through that i became a house mc i ended up getting on a college improv team and after college going to chicago doing second city doing improv olympic kind of shying away from stand-up during my eight years in chicago doing it here and there but not that much not touring just doing all local or doing some stuff when i came back home um And then when I moved back to Northern Kentucky in 2017 with my wife, um, because we wanted to buy a house and have a family and hard to do in Chicago, we were both (laughs) selfish. We wanted to have our, our child to have the experience of like, not the suburbs because we kind of live in a suburban urban area, Mm -hmm. uh, near the river and near Cincinnati, but we wanted like Halloween for our child to walk door to door and go to retreating. Yeah. Of course, um, not in condo buildings and apartment buildings. <laughs> um, but so when I came back, I found that I had also spent my last four years in Chicago writing and directing and producing stage front musical theater shows. Um, there were some original musicals, some horror natured. One was called Babysitter Massacre 78, the musical. Naturally. Which was, <laughs> which was a takeoff of like Halloween and uh, urban legends like the babysitter and the man upstairs. Uh, but it was also comedy, uh, Mall Santa, but it was spelled M A U L. Clever. It was about a zombie outbreak in a mall at Christmas <laughs> time, which is a little bit Die Hard meets Dawn of the Dead. Um, and then 
I was doing all that, came back, was still interested in sketch. Oh, the reason I started this was because I don't love stand-up. I like collaborating. I love working with others. So that's why stand-up, my favorite part is when me and like my opening comedian, a lot of the times, Billy DeVore, who also has a great album called Drinking at the Kids Table. It was number one on iTunes for a while. I love traveling. Like I love going to the shows, which they say that's what you really get paid for is the travel. Yeah. I love performing. I love making entertaining an audience, but the being with him and being stupid in the car along the way is what I love about stand up because you collaborate with the audience. That's I guess the second best part of stand up. You playing off them and having fun, but I love the collaboration of a play or sketch or improv or film where you can be like, okay, I wrote this thing. Let's rehearse it. Okay. Based off the people who are doing it, I'm seeing this, I'm hearing this, you have ideas. I'll hear them. Oh, that's great. That's better than what's here. Or that's a, here was a great jumping off point, but now you've elevated it and it sounds better. It's more like, it's that idea of a writer's room. Yeah. It's the idea of a writer's room. And, And when you're around creative people, and like-minded um and i have found this to be particularly true and look maybe i find it particularly true because i've always wanted to be a comedian and i wanted to be an improviser and i wanted snl and and i've turned it into this because i can do this from the comfort of my home and i can turn it in and i can interview guys like you and and talk to it but i have found that particularly with group of comedians that vibe when you when you start riffing and you start and it really gets rolling it becomes therapeutic. It mm-hmm. becomes, there's an energy you can feed off of it. And it helps you when you get up on stage because you're already rolling. You're, you're riding it. You have um, that confidence. And yeah. that's what the audience immediately is drawn to is, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. As soon as you take the mic and introduce yourself, they're like, okay, shit, he's got our attention. Um, mm-hmm. Ricky, we are at time, my friend. Uh, I have greatly enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, he is Ricky Glore. You can find him on all his socials. Ricky Glore, Ricky Glore Comedian, some sort of... See, I should have done that at the beginning. That was a weird <laughs> take. Um, his comedy special is Dad Bod. His album is Spitting Image. Um, and where are you going to be? Like, where are you, are you right now currently still this... like just working in Kentucky? No, no. This weekend I'm in Holland, Indiana. Uh, last weekend I was in Michigan. <laughs> Uh, with that poster. Holland, Indiana really threw me yeah. off. I, mean, I don't think you meant it to be funny, but this weekend I'm in Holland, Indiana. Indiana. <laughs> well, that's a joke. I think that's on my first album. I don't think it's on the special. Is that Kentucky has places like Paris, Kentucky, London, Kentucky, Florence, Kentucky. Basically a bunch of places that people who are born and raised in Kentucky will never be able to afford to actually go to. Uh, Sorry, if you, you were have, saying you were going to no, no, in no. Holland, Indiana. No, I'm just all over the place, more all over the place after the first of the year. Uh, in January, I'm at Gutty's Comedy Club, which is a clean comedy club in Indiana. Nice. The next week, I'm in Comedy Shrine in near Chicago. The next weekend after that, I'm in Gutty's Comedy Club in Minneapolis, which is a new club of theirs. Um, but before we go, is there any other question that you had that you think no one else, because the Phil Hartman comparison uh, or inspiration was awesome. I won't even say comparison because that's loftier than what you said. Um, Is there any question that you think no one has ever asked me or a comedian or anything that you didn't get to that you want to ask before we, we cut this off? I I, I didn't, I honestly, I didn't, I, I, uh, I, 
I suspect we're going to do this again in the future. Um, I <laughs> Always really, happy to. I really enjoyed uh, talking with you, Ricky. And um, I'll have a different list of questions. But when I wrote down, like on my notes here, or uh, there you, go, you can see the camera. Tell uh, him how go. good he is. Butter him yeah. up. I got, I got one daughter, and then I have the age. Uh, I have Northern Kentucky, SNL influences, road comic, and how long. And you kind of covered off all that stuff. And that's generally what I do. I have a very few kind of bullet points that I know I want to try and drive a conversation towards. Um, and then I let the guests jump off. Because to my point earlier, authenticity, people can smell it. So when I'm trying to find, <laughs> when I'm trying to find someone to talk to, the first question I generally ask is what are you passionate about before I get down to the, getting them on camera and to record? Cause I want to know what are they going to talk from their, their heart and soul about? And, and that's what you did. And I, I greatly appreciate it, Ricky. Thanks sincerely. No, the, thank you. And like I said, next time looking forward to it and it'll be even weirder and even uh, some more other specificities uh, that we didn't get to. Yeah. We'll, we'll mine, we'll mine this shit. We'll just mine the hell out of it. <laughs> Look, 50 people are going to watch this. We're not going to <laughs> we're not going to be famous after this, but maybe That's one what day I say. That's what I say after everything I do. My wife is like, "Is this the thing?" and I'm like, "Nope." No, 50 this people it. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is a this is not going to be your big break. I'm sorry to say that, Ricky. <laughs> I'm we'll used on to that it. note. Thanks yeah, buddy. I'm used to it. Thank you. How awesome was that? Right? Ricky and I just uh we gelled. <laughs> we're going to be doing that again. Um even after I hit record, stop recording, uh, we continued on for a few more minutes. I probably could have let it keep going, but uh, I, I'm cognizant of your time. I am. I'm cognizant of your time as, as a listener, as a viewer. Um, when I started this thing, I, I had in my mind 30 minutes-ish being kind of where I want to fall um, because I'm a parent and I know how valuable our time is. So if you've stuck around to this point, thank you so much. Please tell a friend, and uh, we'll chat again soon. And uh, as always, here's my son. Thanks for listening. Damn. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance, and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.